Hello and welcome to The Kindness of Strangers, the student-friendly podcast based on A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Each episode we consider a character, theme or contextual factor you will need to master if you're studying the text at A-level. The Kindness of Strangers believes in mindful learning and that's why each episode will begin and end with a short exercise to aid your well-being as well as your study-friendly concentration. Happy listening! being exercised today we're going to do a bit of mindfulness and we're going to draw a feeling flower so no artistry is needed here just the ability to draw a circle and five petals it's better if you can physically do this one but if you don't have pen and paper to hand or you're on the go you can also do this mentally so take in a pencil or pen literally or in your head go ahead and draw a circle and then surround that circle with five lovely big fat petal shapes. And then without too much thought going into it, place a word in each of the petals that describe how you're feeling today or have felt earlier in the day. Take a few seconds to do this. Don't overthink it, but do make sure that they're true for you and not autopilot descriptors. Sit with those words for a few moments and just acknowledge your feelings. It may be useful for you to come back to this flower later and compare your feelings, be that later today or another day. This episode, we will be focusing on Blanche's sister and Stanley's wife, Stella Kowalski. A far milder and meeker character than both her sister, husband and most of the other characters in the play. Stella's passive nature feeds and shines a light on the more eccentric characters around her. So let's delve into William's portrayal of this hugely important supporting character. Dubois Departure Let's begin with Stella's background. Born a Dubois, she has been brought up with Blanche at Belle Reve, with privilege and life's fineries. For an unknown reason, she has left her family behind to forge a new life for herself in New Orleans, where she has married a man who Blanche, and therefore we assume the rest of her family, have never met. Stella's upbringing should mean that she holds the same old-fashioned and fixed views as her sister, the same prejudices that are distasteful to the more modern outlooks of audiences then and now. However, she is so very different She is broken away from her elitism and by seeing a different place and surrounding herself with different people has come to understand a little more of the world. The geographical shift from Mississippi to New Orleans is also important to note. She physically removes herself from her surroundings with full intention to start a new life in a new place. Mississippi, a rural state ruled by plantation owners, is a far cry from the hustling and bustling city of New Orleans in Louisiana. New Orleans in the 1940s offered far more diversity and was a mixing pot and a successful mixing pot of that for people of all cultures and backgrounds. An easy intermingling, as Williams puts it in his opening stage directions. This is Stella moving to the future of America. In leaving Belle Reve, framed as almost abandoning her family by Blanche when she tells of the loss of the family estate, Stella rejects her former life and everything that is represented by it, paving a new way. 
It is no wonder then that she is so changed and different to her sister, Blanche. They were once sisters, but now Stella has left the family home and left her surname behind to no longer be a Dubois in Mississippi, but a Kowalski in New Orleans. So how is that going to sit when she's reunited with her sister? Sisterly Reunion In scene one, the action in the text is propelled by the reunion between two sisters who we imagine have not seen each other for some time. The distance is clear between the two, marked by Blanche's lack of awareness over even the name of Stella's husband. Equally, though, Stella is similarly oblivious to the happenings of Blanche's life and shares the guilt of being a sister out of touch. The two have clearly become more distant, as they have by geography, in their own relationship. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why there appears to be an underlying tension between the pair in the opening scene. They're not quite at ease in their conversation and there are many awkward moments. Just as Blanche struggles to be polite and contain her judgments of Stella's new living arrangements, Stella struggles to adapt to Blanche's eccentric behaviour, controversial comments and her nerves. Some of this tension may also stem from Stella's departure from Belle Reve, though. Made clear when Blanche implies Stella abandoned her, the family and their home. This underlying tension foreshadows the later deeper tensions that arise between the sisters throughout the play. Despite this underlying tension, Blanche seems to greet her sister with genuine affection and relief, exclaiming Stella, Stella for star. Blanche is interested in the meanings behind names, later explaining the origins of Blanche and Dubois to Mitch. In Blanche's exclamation, she literally tells us the meaning of Stella, a Latin name meaning star. The symbol of a star suggests light, hope and stability, something Blanche desperately needs and looks for in her sister. This is something we'll touch on again later when we look at Stella's role in the play. And whilst Blanche is full of excitement at seeing her sister, Stella, although pleased to see Blanche, cannot see the same light, hope and stability in her. Instead, she sees someone who appears troubled and lost. She takes note of a jittery disposition. And although she too feels affection, it is laced with concern and pity. These feelings that Stella has towards Blanche continue and deepen throughout the play. And more is learned about Blanche's recent history and her sister's mental health declines. And when we sit back and look at these two sisters at the end of scene one, reunited, what we notice most is the stark contrast between them as characters. Blanche is on edge, nervous, speaks out of turn and dominates the conversation. Whereas Stella appears relaxed, calm, measured and passive. The two could not be more opposite. And whilst their bond grows throughout the play as they become more comfortable in each other's company, the sisters cannot remain reunited for much longer. Sex and violence. The character of Stella allows Williams as writer and us as the audience to explore the interlink between sex and violence. In the way Stella responds to Stanley's domestic violence in the play, it is not hard for the audience to assume that this kind of thing happens casually and frequently, that Stella may often bear the brunt of Stanley's violent episodes. Unfortunately, this really was a sign of the times. 
Whilst domestic abuse is still highly stigmatised and hidden away behind closed doors in our world now, far more than many of us would like to imagine, in the mid-20th century it was even worse. During the time the play is set, husbands could only be prosecuted for beating their wives too severely. Before the 1970s, there were no safe houses, refuges or women-centred charities such as Women's Aid. Rape within marriage was only made a crime in 1994. And even now, stats from the Crime Survey indicate that 26% of women aged 16 to 59 have experienced some kind of domestic abuse. But the extent of the crime is probably much worse. Why? Because the stigma and risks of disclosure still prevent women from coming forward. In 2018, New Zealand became the first nation to offer 14 days paid domestic violence leave for any woman forced to flee a violent home. Sometimes there's just too much to lose for a woman wishing to leave. Allaboutlaw.co.uk is where I found out some of this information and it's worth a read if you're interested in learning more about the role criminal law has to play in tackling domestic abuse. When one of the play's earliest climaxes happens in scene three, when Stanley beats Stella after she has a go at him for throwing the radio out the window, it's important to note that Williams places this off stage. This is really significant, as A, Williams said in interviews that he despised the obscene, and B, he subtly indicates just how obscene Stanley's violence must have been for it to just not be fit for the eyes of the audience. In placing this violence off stage, the imaginations of the audiences are permitted to run riot and imagine the very worst. It's a very clever move in terms of suggesting just how disturbing the violence is and causes us to feel really uncomfortable about what has just happened to Stella. As well as placing the violence off stage, Williams also criticises the action through the reactions of the other characters. No one reacted when Stanley slapped her publicly, but they can see things have gone too far when Stanley's anger explodes and they all rally around to physically remove Stanley from Stella and remove Stella from the situation. How horrified the characters on stage become frames the horror we should feel as an audience. But after Stella has been cocooned in the safety of Eunice's apartment upstairs, Stanley yells her name and she slowly slinks back down to him. They embrace and return to their marital home, and we learn later that they have sex. The morning after, we witness Stella's dazed and dreamy appearance as Blanche stumbles upon her, still in bed after an eventful night. Whilst Blanche is clearly shaken and distressed by the events, Stella is calm and serene, almost drugged by the love she has for Stanley. For her, sex is a drug that removes all pain of the violence. Blanche is horrified. She tells of Stanley's sorry state and how his flippancy is one of the things she likes about him, even gleefully recalling their wedding night, where he went around smashing all the light bulbs. Later, Stanley refers to the coloured lights of their sex life before Blanche arrived. Rather than a hot and cold relationship, this is a hot and hot relationship, where one hot is passionate sex and the other is violent temper. Stella and Stanley's relationship is based on animal chemistry, perhaps something different that she longed for after the refinement of life at Belle Reve in Mississippi. Stella is also handled roughly before she goes into labour, immediately before. Does this symbolise the kind of domestic space a new life is about to enter? One that lacks stability, nurture and safety? 
the audience, especially a modern one, wonders, how can a baby be brought up in this volatile environment? And while Stella accepts the mixing of the two, sex and violence, in her own life, she cannot imagine it existing for Stanley beyond their marriage. Her acceptance is clouded by her domestic context. She cannot imagine Stanley would use sex and violence against another outside the marriage. But why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't somebody so prone to explosive sexual and violent episodes use the two together to rape another? Perhaps it's easier for Stella to believe that his passions can only be directed her way. Torn between the two. Quite predictably, tensions grow throughout Streetcar Named Desire. It's a huge tug of war. Blanche at one end, Stanley at the other, Stella's the rope. Throughout the underhand remarks, undermining and full-on face-offs, Stella really does try her best to be the peacemaker, wanting nothing more than her sister and husband to just get along. She takes on the role of mediator, defending Blanche to Stanley and Stanley to Blanche, softening things to avoid full eruption of conflict and pre-empting any risky scenarios through avoidance tactics. And why does she so desperately just want them to be at peace with one another? Not only for her own sanity, but because she genuinely and wholeheartedly loves them both, despite all of their flaws. Both familial and romantic, her love is pure. Throughout the play, suspicious of Blanche and set on getting her back out of their lives, Stanley sets upon his own personal investigation to have her recent past uncovered. With each new suspicion and discovery, Stella defends her sister, not swindling them and enjoying the riches, but hiding behind costume jewellery, not needlessly disturbed, but genuinely traumatised by the tragic story of her late husband. But the more Stanley finds proof, less and less can she meet his criticisms and concerns with credible defence. Concurrently, Blanche becomes more wary of Stanley and voices her concerns to Stella. She discovers his lack of intelligence, his lack of culture and class, and thinks her sister could have done better for herself, and maybe still can. This is catalyzed even more so by Stanley's violent episode during the poker game. Sensing her own threat, she projects her fears onto Stella. Although she is not met with fear by Stella, but blind love, she is willing to put up with Stanley's violent passions for his sexual ones. And again, Stella defends him. After the ape monologue in scene four, as an audience, we do almost feel as though Blanche has successfully argued her case and that Stella has no defence left. But Stanley quickly lures her back. There and then, she's chosen where her loyalties lie. They are both so terribly guilty of trying to win her over to make her their ally as a way of alienating the other. She is their territory to be won in their battle against each other, in their invasion of each other's terrain. Stanley has invaded Stella and Blanche's sisterhood. Blanche has invaded Stella and Stanley's marriage. Only one can be victorious. What is most interesting in terms of William's structuring is the fact that Blanche's allegation of Stanley's rape is something we don't see as an audience. We do not see this confrontation or decision-making, but only its aftermath in the final scene. How laboured or quick was Stella's decision? How did Stanley react and seek to undermine Blanche's accusation? How did Blanche react to her own sister doubting her story? 
These are all unanswered questions. In not having Stella's rationale played out on stage, this leaves further ambiguity surrounding how Stella has reached such a decision at the close of the play. Although Stella is torn between these two people, these two worlds, she is also the only bridge between their worlds, the only hope they have of coexisting and tolerating one another. Williams uses this idea to comment on the reality of a changing America at the time of writing. Could the people and ideals of the old America coexist with the new America, or would one have to concede? In the end, Stella chooses Stanley. But why? For the sake of her unborn child? As a consequence of deep-rooted patriarchy? Out of pure fear? Out of mindless delusion? Williams doesn't make it clear. So use your ability as an audience to arrive at your own conclusion. You decide. Look into the future. So what does the future hold for Stella Kowalski at the end of the play, now that she has made a decision, husband over sister? What becomes of Stella after Blanche leaves? Is she now free from the emotional strain of her sister to build her marriage and new family back better and stronger? Or has she made the wrong choice and may live to regret what she has done to Blanche? At the end, Stella has a new baby to care for, perhaps taking the place of the caring role she had to adopt towards her sister. This baby symbolises new hope and new beginnings, but also ties her to Stanley in something even stronger than marriage, a new life. How will the domestic space this child grows up in look? Still fraught with hostility, sex and violence, or softened by the presence of an infant and the absence of Blanche who so often riled Stanley up? In making the decision to have Blanche sent away, she has also made the decision to fully shut out her past in rejecting her sister. Blanche represents where she has come from, whereas Stanley represents where she's going. Blanche is known to be Stella's last family member, so she really is severing the last tie to her former life. No longer Dubois, solely a Kowalski. You could say that this decision was predetermined by her pregnancy, underscoring her commitment to her future as a Kowalski. She is reassured by Eunice that she has made the right decision, that there was no other way. Eunice's comments in the final scene really remind us of the limitations of Stella's scope of choice within her context. It was the done thing to stick by your man no matter what. How could she do anything differently? In Eunice backing up her decision, it also shows the emotional and mental burden on women and their need to ignore truth and to believe, or at least commit to, fallacy for the sake of maintaining the family unit. But she sobs at the end. Once Blanche has exited the stage for the final time, her sobs are described as luxurious in the stage directions. Luxurious may seem an odd descriptor, but it refers to her finally letting go, giving in and indulging in her truest feelings. It frames the final moments of the play in an undeniably tragic light, and perhaps indicates that Stella may not be able to hold it together now that Blanche is actually gone. And in having to make this choice and this absolute finality at the end of A Streetcar Named Desire, we also learn something else. Stella has failed to unify the meeting of the two worlds, Blanche, the Old South, and Stanley, the New America. So what hope is there for America now? For 
the next segment, we have guest co-host Miss Kennedy exploring how we can link in the context surrounding Tennessee Williams' sister, Rose, into a discussion angle on Stella's role and representation in the text. In episode one, we discussed Williams' lifelong guilt that he felt surrounding his sister's lobotomy. Williams was devoted to Rose and she became his literary muse. So much so that he based the character Laura on her in a play he wrote called The Glass Menagerie, which became his first Broadway success. In 1943, just four years before A Streetcar Named Desire was written, Rose was subject to a lobotomy a surgery that involved severing connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex was used as a mainstream practice for mental disorders for around two decades in the Western world. In modern medicine, the operation is viewed as barbaric and it's recognised as being an unethical removal of a person's rights, personality and also their intellect. Its main and sad benefit was that it made patients more docile and therefore easier for the rest of society to deal with. This now controversial move was taken by Williams' family as Rose's schizophrenia was worsening and becoming more troubling to them. After this lobotomy, she was institutionalised for the rest of her life. Williams made sure Rose was well cared for throughout her life, especially when he could afford to foot the bill, but he lived with a trauma over what happened to his older sister and also about how things could have gone differently. In the play, Blanche, like Rose, is institutionalised. In the play, Stella, like Williams's family, makes that decision to have the problem sent away rather than dealt with and nurtured. But as Stella sobs on the steps of the close of the play, perhaps this more personally reflects Williams' lifelong regret over what happened and allows the ending to be truly tragic rather than clinical. Here are 10 quotes you definitely want to consider including in an essay response on Stella Kowalski. Number one from scene one, Stella for star. Blanche's words that show the hope, stability and light Stella represents in her eyes as she travels to her for these things that she lacks, following her like the North Star. Two, Stella's words, you never did give me a chance to say much, Blanche, so I just got in the habit of being quiet around you. This gives an insight into their childhood. Stella seems limited by her sister and has to adapt to her behaviour when in her company. Three, you'll get along fine together if... The conditional phrase here in Stella's speech suggests that she's already aware there's a caveat to Stanley and Blanche getting along. Four, in scene three, Stella says, this is my house and I'll talk as much as I want to, to Stanley. This is during the poker game and perhaps we see Stella here being fueled by Blanche's influence in speaking up to her husband. Five, also in scene three, drunk, drunk, animal thing you. Here Stella uses zoomorphic language like Blanche towards Stanley, which tips Stanley then over the edge into violence. 
six. In scene four, she says to Blanche, you take it for granted that I'm in something that I want to get out of. Here shows the complex situation of a woman who, unbeknownst to her, is in a toxic relationship. The audience's sympathies at different times for different reasons. Seven, also in scene four, Stella says to Blanche, but there are things that happen between a man and woman in the dark. Here she uses euphemism and detachment with the indefinite articles a man and a woman, showing a superficial defence of Stanley's actions. Number eight, in scene 11, Stella says to Eunice, tell her how well she's looking. She's aware of her sister's superficial needs and tries to keep her sweet even until the last moment. Number nine, also in the last scene, she says to Eunice, I couldn't believe her story and go on living with Stanley. Here, the modal contraction couldn't and the use of story suggests the possibility was beyond reality, but also suggests a choice of two had to be consciously made. And 10, at the very end of the play, she says, what have I done to my sister? Oh God, what have I done to my sister? The repetition and the interrogatives here show immediate regret. It echoes the audience's thoughts, especially in modern ones, and drives home the tragedy in the play. So here's our second well-being exercise for today's episode. It's really important to check in with yourself and consciously taking note of your well-being and practicing some mindfulness. It can be great to keep yourself healthy and present. Today we end with a bit of a weird one, less so one you want to do on a public walk in the park and more so one you might want to do in the privacy of your own home. It's a 10 second yawn and stretch and literally is what it is, but you do look a bit strange doing it from other people's perspectives. So in the most extra exaggerated way you can, start a ridiculously massive yawn and at the same time the widest, biggest stretch that you can whilst counting with me for 10 seconds. One, two, three, even bigger, four, five, six, even more, seven, eight, nine, ten, and wind it down. (laughs) Hope you needed that as much as I did. brings us to the end of our episode on Stella. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learning all about this complicated character and the even more complicated view that we have of it as a modern post-feminist audience. Remember that if you're putting together an essay response on Stella and you want to show your knowledge of her characterization in a multifaceted light and support your literary analysis with well-chosen quotes and instances that track through the text as a whole. But until next time, happy reading and take care.